After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, will you give us grace to hear you speak, which is a wonderful and audacious thing that we get to ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, friends, would you take a look at that last reading um, about the three wise men? Um, it's very familiar to a lot of us, uh, and sometimes we call them the three wise men. We don't actually know that there are three of them, but there were three gifts, so we kind of surmise. Otherwise, people would feel awkward, perhaps, if they came without a gift, or maybe there was more than three. We're not sure. Sometimes we call them magi. And it's a pretty familiar story to a lot of us, you know, the star and so forth. And one of the things that happens sometimes when we hear familiar stories, especially this time of year, is that uh, they can kind of become background noise. Um, however, what I want to show you in just a few minutes is that this story of the Magi, the three wise men, it's a very subversive story. Um, this story begins to open up how it is that Jesus subverts corruption, injustice, and evil. And he does it right from the very beginning uh, of his career there in the manger. And uh, very often we read Christmas stories like this. I don't know whether you identify with this, but sometimes they kind of sound like nice little stories that we use to kind of escape, as maybe escape the real world. They, these are nice little stories that make us nostalgic and those sorts of things. But actually, this reading is the opposite. This reading shows us how Jesus subverts evil and corruption and injustice, but it also gives us an insight about how we are empowered and enabled to engage a world that is full of very, very real evil. 
Let me explain. Um, take a look at that first line in the story. Uh, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east. Now, stop there for a second. Do you notice uh, the emphasis on Herod the king? Um, why mention Herod? Well, if you back up and you look at the big picture of the Bible, especially the Hebrew scriptures, what we sometimes call the Old Testament, um, there's this really big backstory about, G, about uh, rather Israel and really awful leadership. Israel and really, really terrible kings. So if you were to read through the Old Testament and you uh, followed the pattern of Israel, you see a pattern that um, as what happens is typically this. Israel gets a bad leader, a bad king, and that king, that leader, opens up the nation to just really, really awful things, uh, evil, corruption, injustice. And each time it's a little bit different, but it's all a variation on a theme. There's something kind of monotonous about evil. It always kind of ends up being the same. And evil and corruption and injustice, it spreads in Israel in a lot of different ways. But one of the main ways it does is through these awful, terrible leaders, kings that Israel has. Now, Herod is in that line, except he's a special kind of terrible. Uh, Herod, we know from uh, sources outside the New Testament, um, in an effort to hold on to his throne, he, uh, he killed one of his wives. He had two of his sons killed. And when he knew that his death was approaching, he ordered that on the occasion of his death, he, was, he wanted uh, a bunch of the nobles of Judah to be killed just so that there would be somebody crying on the day of his death. So, I mean, the guy is just a special kind of horrible. And he's narcissistic, and he's a liar, and he's murderous, and he's a lunatic kind of leader. Now, pause for a second. It is very difficult uh, to resist it appears in the Bible. It's very difficult to resist a leader like that for a bunch of reasons. One is that when they're autocrats, there's just, you don't have really any power very often to resist them in any kind of significant way. But there's also a more subtle reason why these sorts of leaders that pop up in the scriptures are very, very difficult to resist. And the more subtle reason is this. You see this theme again and again in scripture. When you're faced with a really, really terrible leader, you can um, resist him and, and try to stand up to this leader, and you can get angry, you can get outraged, but if you're not very careful, uh, it's easy to end up inadvertently kind of resembling the very evil you want to oppose. So it's evil to see uh, evil and hatred, and I think we can know this in our own experience, isn't it? Um, you can see evil and hatred and rightfully oppose it. However, slowly, if you're not careful, uh, my anger that's appropriate at the beginning can harden into bitterness. And if I'm not careful, my opposition can harden into a kind of hatred. And my righteous cause, if I'm not very careful, can harden into a kind of self-righteousness. And before long, without ever noticing it, I can end up being a kind of inadvertent echo of the very evil I want to oppose. And so the question comes up, not just here, but any number of places through Scripture, how do we resist a leader like Herod? 
Like I said, that question runs right the way through Israel's history. And typically, it ends up one of two ways, neither of which are good. Uh, very often, either Israel blindly goes along with the corruption of the leader, and it, kind of, uh, it becomes complicit in the corruption and the evil and the, and the injustice, or very often Israel uh, devolves into a kind of uh, tribalism and ultimately civil war. But either way, the corruption is regularly not rooted out. And most of the time, the people end up looking an awful lot like their terrible leader. It's a problem. Now, keep that in mind and look back to the Magi. Because we've got these three men, or however many they were. What's striking about these folks is that in a remarkable way, in this story, they are not defined by Herod. Now, they go and they meet with Herod, they ask him some questions, they get some information from him, but they are not dazzled by him. And in the end, our reading stops just short of this, but in the end, they don't obey him. They just ignore him. Now, Herod ends up being peripheral to these magi. And the magi are full of joy. Herod is full of anxiety, but the magi are full of joy. Why? What's going on with the magi? Why are they so free? We'll look back at the story. What happens is they arrive in Jerusalem and they start asking where the king of the Jews is. Now, that must have driven Herod just absolutely round the bend because his whole point is he was the king of the Jews and he'd spilt a lot of blood to get that throne. But the Magi look at him, and they're, they're, not, they're not fooled. And they're not that concerned about Herod. What's going on with the Magi? Well, we get a hint from the quote in the middle of the reading. Do you see that, verse 6? It's a quote from the Old Testament. We actually read it earlier in, Ma in Micah. And it says this, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will, this is important, shepherd my people Israel. Now keep in mind, Israel has been plagued by terrible leaders. And Israel typically shared in the corruption of those leaders. And the Old Testament knows this. And part of the remar remarkable promise of Micah is that one day, God's going to give a different kind of leader. Instead of a leader who exploits and corrupts and implicates others in his corruption, this new leader is going to be a shepherd. Not just a king, but a shepherd. And a shepherd who leads his people with justice and goodness and truth. That's the promise. And that's what the Magi are depending on. The Magi, they come up against Herod and they do not openly rebel against him. But on the other hand, they're not complicit with him either. Instead, they completely subvert him. What do I mean by that? Well, look at what they do when they meet Jesus. They go to Bethlehem, they find Jesus, and what, are they, what happens? They are full of joy. Verse 11, they fall down and they worship. And not only do they worship, they give him those things that they value most. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, those were big deals in those days. In other words, they were giving this little baby their full allegiance. They were giving them, him their allegiance as their king. Now, remember, the problem with Israel's kings is that very often Israel ended up resembling them. They shared, typically, in the corruption of their worst leaders. But now in this story, that's being turned around. The Magi 
For them, the opposite is coming true. The Magi are giving themselves and their allegiance to this new king, a true king, a king who is really and deeply a shepherd. And as they give him their deepest allegiance, they begin to take on his new character. They begin to become an echo of Jesus's character. They begin to reflect Jesus's beauty. And you say, Jim, how do you know that? That's not in the story. Well, it kind of is, because remember what happens when Jesus grows up. Later on, Jesus will stand up in front of people and say that I am, quote, I am the real, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Do you see the difference? Herod took the lives of his sheep, but now Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. He's a different kind of leader. And it's even more intense than that, because when we say Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, it sort of sounds like maybe he's giving his life for the sake of innocent people, uh, these innocent little, little sweet little sheep. But that's wrong, because Jesus didn't die for sweet little innocent sheep. He died for guilty ones. He died for his enemies. The sheep that Jesus ends up dying for are sheep who had fully entered into and shared in the corruption of their nation. That's why when Jesus was dying, he looked out at his sheep and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life in ransom for the very worst sheep. And that changes you. Because that means that when Jesus becomes your king, when he becomes your shepherd, and when you feel yourself to be first his enemy, who he has now ransomed, and because he has ransomed you, you have now become his sheep, and because you are, she you are his sheep, you are now under his kind shepherding leadership, then when that happens and that dawns upon you, then you begin to take upon yourself his character. You start to echo your new king. You start to echo his love. You start to share in his his beauty. And that, friends, is a profound kind of freedom. That's the freedom of the Magi. That's the freedom that allows you, like them, to come face to face with evil, evil and find yourself free, not to be complicit with it, not to fall into retribution and hatred and bitterness, but instead, like the Magi, you turn to your real king, your real shepherd, you turn to Jesus Christ, and you worship him like the Magi, and you give him your full alert allegiance just like the Magi, and you give him what is most valuable to you, everything that you are, and you find out that you're free like they were. But then also, look back at the reading, because again, Herod commands the Magi, come back and tell me all about this guy that you meet, this kid, Jesus but they don't. They just ignore him. They disobey him. And when they resist Herod, they're not bitter about it. They're not violent. They're just full of courage because they know who their real king is. Jesus subverted Herod when he was born. The Magi subverted Herod when he gave them command. And Jesus subverts evil in our own hearts through the cross. So how do you resist evil? <laughs> well, tonight, follow the Magi to their subversive king. 
and then follows the subversive king to his subversive cross. And then there watch as the cross of Christ subverts the corruption and the evil and the sin and injustice that is hidden within your own heart. And then get up and follow your new shepherd in freedom. And the closer you are to Jesus Christ, the more that you will be able to go out into our world, eyes wide open about the reality of evil, not naive about it, not blind to it, not trying to escape from it, but fully aware of it, but also not defined by it. Because you'll know that you're now defined by your new king and your new shepherd. Your new, your new king and your new shepherd who was born in a manger and enthroned on a cross. And who right now stands in heaven and will continue to reign there when Herod and all those allied, allied with him are forgotten for forever. Follow the subversive king. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.